we'll let uh, folks join and then uh, a brief introduction and then we'll have a conversation. Is that okay? Works great. Are you in your home office? Are you in your school office? This is, this is the home office. I'm not teaching today. So I decided just to not even commute. <laughs> you, you live in Moore, is that right? We, yeah, we moved uh, about two miles. So we're, we're now actually across the line in Moore, but um, it's, it's not any further. The kids' school's over here. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Kyle, if you're ready, let's make a run for it. Great. Welcome to Todd Talks, where my guest today is Dr. Kyle Harper. Dr. Harper is a historian of the ancient world who serves as the GT and Libby Blankenship Chair in the History of Liberty, Professor of Classics and Letters, Senior Advisor to the President, and Provost Emeritus at the University of Oklahoma. Dr. Harper is the author of four consequential books, Slavery in the Late Roman World, From Shame to Sin, the Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality, The Fate of Rome, Climate, Disease, and the End of an Empire, and then most recently, the 2021 volume, which will feature in our conversation today, Plagues Upon the Earth, Disease and the Course of Human History. Kyle, welcome to Todd Talks. Thank you so much for taking time to visit with me today. Thank you, old friend. It's great to see you, and I'm honored to be here. Kyle, um, I, I would love to just kind of catch up, but I, I want to just kind of jump in and uh, turn our attention to uh, your consequential work. So, Kyle, one just does not wake up one morning and decide uh, to become a classical historian, pursue an MA and a PhD at Harvard, and write for consequential, even monumental volumes in a discipline. So here's my question um, that I think many will be interested. How is it that you became interested in history and uh, in pursuing an academic uh, career in the field? How did, how did that happen? Well, the, the really short answer is great teachers. I, I was really blessed to get to come to the University of Oklahoma, where I now work, but it's also my alma mater. And uh, I grew up loving the, the football program, <laughs> my college selection <laughs> based on that. Uh, the rest is history. Uh, but what I didn't know when I, when I went to get a university education really was what I wanted to be. I thought I did, like a lot of 18-year-olds. Uh, but an education is, among other things, it's about really learning what's out there and what all the possibilities are. And I was so lucky to have teachers who gave me an inspiring ideal of education, that, that the purpose of an education was really about something more than, than just getting a job, which is, which is hugely important, but was really about, uh, about life, about thinking about your values and your place in society, your place in history. And I had one particularly inspiring professor, and uh, I'll point out sentimentally that he was the, the GT and Libby Blankenship Chair in the History of Liberty when I was a student and when I first met him. So it's, it's a really profound honor and, and neat sentimental connection to, to sit in his chair, so to speak. Uh, but his name was Rufus Fears, and he taught Roman history. I did not know that I loved Roman history. Uh, and I didn't really know anything about Roman history. I'd certainly never been to Rome. I barely left Oklahoma when I went to college, really. 
And uh, it was just life changing. I mean, it was it was all those things. It was eye opening and horizon broadening. And I can only describe it as as falling in love. And uh, I was just fortunate to, to have somebody who was a great storyteller who made history come alive, who helped students like me understand why it mattered and why it was relevant to our lives. And and then provided a model that there was a, a way, a crazy way, and many times a hard way, but to, to make it a profession. So that's kind of the, the story. It was a, a love story of, of falling in love with a subject in college, really. Friends, I'm visiting with Dr. Kyle Harper, who is a professor at the University of Oklahoma, an ancient historian. And he's sharing with us how his teachers uh, were planting trees under whose shade he now gets to sit. So Kyle, um, you indicate in the acknowledgement section of your most recently published book, which by the way, once you buy this big book, uh, it's at the back, okay? So you gotta read all the way through to get to the acknowledgement section. I guess you could turn there, but I would encourage you to read there. Um, in, in your acknowledgement section, uh, you suggest that you began writing this book in 2017. So uh, first of all, that just shows us that books aren't uh, out overnight, uh, but it also uh, raises the question, uh, a twofold question perhaps, uh, what prompted you to pursue this project in the first place? I mean, it's not everyone that wants to write about plagues. <laughs> and then in your, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that in the midst of this project that you would complete much of it amid uh, a, a pandemic that we now know is COVID-19? Uh, so this is just so remarkably curious. Um, I would say serendipitous, but that almost has a positive connotation. Right. So, so, so how, did, how did it happen? Well, first of all, my my gratitude and compliments. I think you're the first person to make it that far into <laughs> the book. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's a big book. It's a big book, um, <laughs> but people can still buy it. I think you're you're smarter just for having it on the shelf. That's what I say. <laughs> but but no, I, I thank you for reading it. But the as you say, it was 2017, and I was finishing up my last book, uh, which is called The Fate of Rome, and was trying to to bring the, the environment into the story, the human story of the fall of the Roman Empire, both climate change, but also disease and particularly disease. And when I was writing that book, that was the, the part of it that just gripped me. And, um, you know, it takes a long time once you finish writing a book to, for the book to come out. So it was sometime in the midst of actually finishing the, the words of that book and waiting for it to come out that I already knew I was going to write uh, a history of disease. And uh, it was a lot of things. I mean, partly I'd written three books about the Roman Empire. I love my Romans, but I wanted something a little bit different and fresh. And, and I'm a curious person. And I loved writing about global history. I mean, reading about whatever, Japan or pre-Columbian America, just, just the, the excitement of something a little bit fresh uh, at that stage of my career was really uh, motivating. But it was also just unanswered questions. I want to know, why did the Roman Empire suffer these really big pandemics? Because the, the Romans really do experience some kind of earth-shaking mortality events caused by 
microbes. And that just got me interested in the, the question of why, where does this piece of it fit into the bigger story? And there's a book that is now a little bit old, and there have been some other really good books written in the meantime, but 1976, William McNeil wrote a book called Plagues and Peoples. It's just one of my favorite books of all time. And so I kind of had the thought, I wonder what he would say if he had all the, the kind of data that we now have. And so that was that was sort of the way I framed it in my head. And, and I really did, in some rational way, believe that there would be another pandemic. And when I started writing the book, it was framed as a kind of warning that the patterns of history should lead us to, to realize that pandemics are um, just a fundamental part of our past. And there's no reason to think that, that we won't experience them in the future. So that's a rational um, kind of belief. And uh, I'm on record uh, before COVID-19 also saying, um, you know, history teaches us to, to be aware of this. There are a lot of experts, obviously, in public health and microbiology and emerging infectious diseases who have different and in some ways better qualifications. But my little piece as a historian was to say, look, the, the story of the human past should make us alert to this threat. Uh, but that's rational. Uh, the reality is I could not have conceived that, that I would come to finish writing the book in the shadow of a, of a really um, a pandemic that's, that's upended our lives in so many ways. That, that part is just still just blows my mind. Um, it certainly provided a little urgency. Uh, I think if you go back and look at the contract, I'm supposed to get the book uh, finished in a first draft by the end of next year. Wow. <laughs> so I, I finished way ahead of schedule. Um, I did um, truly drop everything else to, to finish the book because it had a kind of urgency that, that I didn't imagine. I thought it'd be a kind of a cool, uh, slightly academic, quirky, um, big topic, but not one that would relate to every person on the planet. That's just been surreal. And ironically, the uh, pandemic might have provided the space that you might not have had otherwise because of just lockdown and the way that we lived our lives and so much of the pandemic. Uh, I have to correct you there. I have four little kids and uh, <laughs> they were locked down. Uh, now, 99% of the credit goes to my wife for running okay. the, the Harper <laughs> online homeschool hybrid thing that we muddled through. But it was, uh, there was, there was a lot of happy distraction along the way. But yeah, I mean, what a crazy year. It obviously did open up some time, but it also meant other challenges and distractions. Um, so it is, it is one of the weirdest years of life and hopefully um, starts to get in the rearview mirror. We'll see. Yeah. So Kyle, um, turning to the book itself, not just thinking about the book in general, but looking at the book in particular, uh, what, what is the goal of the book? Uh, and what uh, is the central theme? I mean, some people uh, think that writers just write, but good writers like yourself actually have an organizing thought. There's a telos, there's a name, there's an end. So talk to us about this. Um, uh, what's the book about? It's, it's about the two-way relationship between humanity and our germs. And it's a two-way relationship because we shape the conditions that, that sort of allow them to emerge, evolve, affect us, do what they do. So the human disease pool is 
very strange. It's, it's very weird compared to other species. And the reason is because of our history, because of the, the in many ways, the progress, the accomplishments of human expansion. So we sort of create our germs, um, not in the, they got to be careful, not in the, the lab <laughs> sense, but we, we create the conditions in which our germs emerge. But the other side of that relationship is that our pathogens are then uh, a force that shapes human history. And so I wanted to tell that two-way story. Uh, we create our germs and then our germs have a huge influence on human history. And in so many different ways, they really shape everything from demography and patterns of birth, marriage, and death through the, the economic performance of human societies, the power differentials of human societies. So uh, the challenge actually is that in some sense, infectious disease shapes everything. And the hard part is sort of focusing in and finding some of the, the main ways in which it's stamped our past. But but I'm certainly a historian who thinks that that understanding the the natural world can actually help us understand human history. We're we have a really close link with with the earth and with other species. And I think historians can can tell the human story by including some of these other um, parts of nature in the in the story. So we're encouraging you to take up and read uh, Plagues Upon the Earth. Uh, my guest today is Kyle Harper. Uh, Kyle, uh, when we think about the volume um, as a whole, uh, how do you organize it? And how do you seek to make good on your goal as you pursue the book's theme? So what are folks going to find between the covers? Well, uh, it's... Most of my most of my past writing has really been kind of focused, and that's what professional academic historians are trained to do. They're good at, and frankly, I can at least speak for myself, are kind of comfortable doing. Um, you know, you you go to school for a long time to learn languages and to learn all the documents, and um, so I'm pretty comfortable talking about the Roman Empire. But the I, I tried really hard in I forget how many pages the book is. Uh, it's long. Uh, 600 something pages, um, it, it, the Romans get like five pages, maybe. Um, and so what that means is this is a, a big global history. So it goes back to human origins and it goes all the way down to COVID-19. I did put in a few pages about COVID-19. Uh, this isn't a COVID book. Um, we're getting a lot of COVID books. Some of them are even good that people are rushing out to, um, to say something about pandemics. Um, this one's a little bit funny because the ending wasn't supposed to have anything about COVID. It was supposed to tell you that COVID was coming. Um, but, you know, there's, so there's not much about the Romans. There's not that much about COVID. Although I think in some sense, the whole book is the backstory of COVID-19 and, and how we created the, the environment for this to happen. But what, what you'll get then is... Uh, big global history. So it it tries hard and we all have our serious limits, but it tries not just to be a, uh, a history of Europeans or history of America. In fact, I worry there's not enough about the United States in it, um, but there's a lot about Asia. There's a lot about Africa. There's a lot about pre-Columbian America. Um, and of course, there's a lot about Europe. That's, that's what I know. And it's where a lot of the really good evidence is. 
but it's trying to, to be a human story. So it's really trying to, to tell the story from, from the perspective of all of humanity and to, to remind us that, that we are really one very closely interconnected species um, that, that shares a planet and that our health is really interconnected. Um, so you'll find a, a global history then you'll find a big history. So it moves fast. It starts hundreds of thousands of years ago uh, and uh, is organized around kind of big technological changes in human history from the mastery of fire to the transition to farming, to the um, crossing of oceanic frontiers, to the, the rise of modern industrial fossil fuel based society. So it's, it's uh, certainly synthetic and moving fast, but you can, you can hopefully expect to, to get uh, the big picture. And there's always something, there's always trade-offs between um, the big picture and the, the zoomed in picture. And um, I've tried to do both at different times, but this is, this is absolutely the, the zoom out and trying to put between two covers the, the shape of the whole story. So you preachers out there will like the fact that there is alliteration, fire, farms, frontiers, and fossils. And there are some fascinating uh, uh, chapter titles, including chapter nine of Lice and Men. So there are all kinds of clever uh, turns of phrase. And this is, uh, I might say, uh, a wonderful read. It uh, Kyle, you're a compelling writer. You know how to not only state uh, a thesis, but then develop it. So uh, it's a pleasure to read. Thanks. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a, for a bad pun or a, a cute <laughs> turn of phrase. So everybody will probably roll their eyes uh, every now and then, but hopefully it, it is um, communicating some, some big and sometimes technical ideas in a way that that keeps you reading. Well, yeah, this, this is a book that's not for the faint of heart or the feeble of mind. So um, <laughs> <take> I, <laughs> Kyle, um, you describe the way you execute uh, this work uh, as a practice in consilience. Uh, what is this practice? I, I mean, it, it's really a way you do history too. And um, why is it important for this work in particular uh, that this is such a multidisciplinary work? Well, one of the, to me as a historian, and of course that means I'm trained, as I said, in languages and reading documents and texts and inscriptions. But one of the most exciting things that has happened for those of us who are interested in the, the past, in the last generation is the rise of new kinds of evidence from the natural sciences that can tell us things we didn't know. And this is happening really fast. One of the areas where it's most significant and happening most rapidly is in the, the area of genomics. And I think, you know, all of us, even those of us who aren't professional microbiologists are kind of aware of this. We all remember something called the, the Human Genome Project that was a big worldwide collaboration to hundred labs and over a billion dollars and almost 10 years to map a human genome. Um, in the meantime, continuous technological advances and how genomes are sequenced mean that if you want to have your personal genome sequenced, you can do it for, I think it's still about 99 bucks. Uh, you can swab some saliva and send it off. If you have a lab with a high throughput sequencing machine, you can, you can sequence hundreds of genomes a day. So the, the technology that has revolutionized genome sequencing is creating a huge amount of 
new knowledge about history. And this is true for human populations. That's what basically the commercial ancestry companies are, are selling you as a kind of slightly mythologized story based on your genes. We could argue about that, but, but there's real science here too. And we're not just learning about us. We're learning about things like plague and smallpox and measles, even COVID-19. I mean, our knowledge, you see these big trees of different genetic variants of Omicron, Delta, Alpha. That's really a, a very, uh, foreshortened version of what we've been learning about the, the history of other pathogens. Now, of course, in this case, the amount of sequencing globally is just, I mean, it's unlike anything that's ever happened, but it allows us to, to track the change in the virus over time to show when and where um, new variants are emerging. That same thing is happening for all of these other species that I mentioned. And so we now know things that about the history of a disease like measles, it was just completely off limits. I mean, the, the early history of measles five or 10 years ago was honestly just completely made up. I mean, we didn't know anything that doesn't ever stop historians, but, uh, but we didn't actually have any idea how old it was, um, how it got to us and so on. So I think as a historian, that's a great opportunity. It's challenging, of course, but to put those different kinds of knowledge about the past in conversation is exciting. That's what I think consilience is, is when different kinds of knowledge leap together um, and leave you with a, a richer story of the past. Kyle, it just uh, occurred to me that uh, your work as a provost at the University of Oklahoma has served you remarkably well. Your curiosity, uh, coupled with the fact that you were exposed in that role to so many different disciplines, has uh, accelerated your work in your own given discipline. It, it really, I mean, it's, it's like the most unbelievably lucky um, experience to get to have made friends and relationships and have at least a, a tiny bit of knowledge of what's going on in so many different fields and serving in an administrative position at a, at a comprehensive university. And it's really cool because I can, you know, I now have friends in ecology and chemistry and civil engineering. Uh, I was I was in a absolutely horrible budget meeting um, when I kind of was early on writing the book. And um, I had a civil engineer who works on um, water and health. And I had a, a chemist that I had no idea really um, kind of what his own research was on. And we were talking about the importance of chlorination and creating clean drinking water. And it's the basic reason why you or I can go to the faucet, drink a, a cup of water, it's an enormous privilege that still not all of humanity enjoys. And for most of our, our past was unimaginable, but that water has been treated. Um, and so chemicals have been applied to, to eliminate most of the potentially dangerous microbes, including those that cause diseases like typhoid fever, which was a, a major killer right down to the early 20th century, even in the US. And um, so I was talking about this with the, the civil engineer who knows a lot about the history of chlorination and chloramination and, and how it's used today. And the, my friend who's the chemistry faculty was like, you know, what's amazing is that the, um, the immune cells that, that attack bacteria have inside them these little sacs, lysosomes that break down the component parts of bacteria and they use chlorine <laughs> to, to break it down. So basically it is like this really cool insight. It's like, what your cells are doing inside of them to destroy these bacteria is 
basically from a chemical standpoint is the same thing that humans are doing at a municipal scale industrially to clean water, to break down the, the bacteria. And it was just to me, one of these cool moments of, it was totally accidental. We were just killing time to, to avoid talking about budget cuts. And we, we made this like neat recognition of how as a historian, a civil engineer and a chemist, we actually have some really shared interests that, that, you know, if we hadn't been there, we wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen. And actually that, um, is a little bit reflected in the book when I'm talking about how humans gain control over microbes. Um, it's sort of like we're imposing our immune system on the environment, on the world around us. Um, so it, it led me to this kind of neat, I think, way of framing a historical question. Well, it's amazing when a university actually becomes one. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Kyle, I... Um, I want to pivot just a tad and uh, talk about the fact that it's sometimes suggested that if we do not uh, learn from our history, that we are destined or doomed uh, to repeat it. This phrase cycles in lots of ways and is not precisely the same. Uh, but what are a few lessons that, that humans, uh, we mere mortals, uh, might learn from the history of disease uh, some of which we brought on ourselves. Well, maybe maybe a touch of humility, and uh, maybe and maybe a, a slightly better sensitivity towards certain kinds of risk. Humans are very bad um, at risk assessment, <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's we fear the wrong things, um, and often uh, it can be very hard to. To calculate, you know, what are the what are the risks of something like a pandemic? Because they may be very remote in terms of the odds of them happening, but very consequential uh, once they do. And, um, and and I think we were we were absolutely warned so vividly, so passionately that we should have been better prepared for this pandemic because humans have gained an amazing amount of control over infectious disease. And the, the rise of public health and modern biomedicine have just changed the, the basis of human health and well-being. And we can be very, very grateful for that. But, but I think we also need humility in the sense that we need to realize that we can never conquer infectious disease. And history constantly throws up new challenges. And we had a lot of near misses over the last generation we were repeatedly warned by experts in microbiology to, to emerging infectious diseases to, to take this risk more seriously because it, you know, it's unpredictable. And this is part of the thing that makes it hard for us to wrap our minds around is nobody could really tell us if this was going to happen next week or next decade. But there were a lot of warning signs. There were a lot of voices telling us to pay more attention. Um, and so I think a history can, can play a little role there by knowing the, the backstory, by knowing where we've come from, by knowing how vulnerable we are, by knowing that emerging infectious diseases are, are more like a constant than an exception. It can, like any, any good history should slightly change the way you, you understand yourself. And um, I think this will help us hopefully see ourselves as a little more um, vulnerable to, to nature. And, um, and we'll, 
maybe going forward, uh, help us realize that, that COVID-19 wasn't an anomaly. Um, it, was, it was bound to happen. And what's a little bit scarier to me as a historian is actually this pandemic happened right where we were told. I mean, we were told, watch this space. I was at um, an event in Santa Fe in May of 2019 with a bunch of scientists and I had dinner with a virologist and we were talking about the risk of emerging infectious diseases. And I was saying, you know, influenza seems like a, a, a disease that really will challenge us. And he said to me, I remember this so vividly, May 2019, he said, yeah, but we have to keep our eyes on coronaviruses. There's something about the way they adapt to human receptors and cause disease. Um, you know, this is, this is one of the ones where, and there's a lot of RNA viruses that, that are like that, that we were told about, but like smart people knew this was where it was, was going to hit. And still we were complacent and, and unprepared. Um, and there'll be another pandemic. And again, we don't know if it'll be next week. <laughs> we don't know if it'll be another decade or more, uh, but, but it'll be, be important that we learn the lessons of history, but also the lessons of this historic episode that we're living through. Uh, you all, we're talking to Dr. Kyle Harper, who is a professor of classics and of letters at the University of Oklahoma regarding his recently released book, uh, Plagues Upon the Earth. Well, Kyle, uh, you've been very generous with your time. We're coming down the home stretch. Hang with me for just a minute further because um, I'd like to ask a, a question related to the one that I just asked. And then um, if you'll give me kind of a, a, a mulligan uh, or a, 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 an extra question, I wanna ask you just one more. So um, here's the question. Um, I love to read dedicatory pages, uh, just like I love to read acknowledgement pages. And when I was reading the dedication, I uh, noticed that you dedicated this volume appropriately, I gather, uh, to both your children and to your wife. And so uh, the curiosity in me uh, rose up to ask, um, what kind of world might you wish for them um, and, and for all of us? relative to the contents uh, of this book? Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I'll just, I'll just point out, um, I have four kids, four books, um, and I hope I have a lot more books. <laughs> I kind of- uh, but, but not a lot more children. Like, uh, well, I didn't say that, but, but I said it. Um, uh, it, was, it was certainly implied. Um, that I, I hope that, um, that we can, um, they can grow up in a world where um, we we take more seriously the the responsibility we have as stewards of the natural world. Um, I think that's such a going to be such an important issue for them to to grapple with in their generation. Uh, I hope that I think unfortunately the the COVID nineteen pandemic has in various ways polarized our society. I don't think that's healthy, <laughs> mentally, morally, or uh, in thinking about how we confront the challenges of infectious disease, because the, the challenges of infectious disease, which are still going to be there, uh, even as we get this under control, are never able to be solved completely by science. Our science is amazing. Uh, and you look at the development of at least three highly safe and effective vaccines um, that exceeded even our own wildest hopes and aspirations and it still hasn't hasn't let us 
regain the the stability in our society that we that we hope for. And it's because the technical answers, the scientific responses we come up with, as important as they are, are never alone. I mean, these are questions that also touch the soul and our communities and the way we relate to and care about each other. And so I'm not like super optimistic that this is about to happen in the next months um, because human emotions have gotten tangled up in it and it's been very divisive, but hopefully we can continue to, to pull through this pandemic. And some of the, I hope for our kids' sake that some of the, the polarization of some of these, the ways we respond to these from all sides get, get a little less charged. And, um, you know, America's best when, when people are um, working together and pushing in the same direction. But I just, this has been one of the most striking things as both a citizen and a historian is how extremely divisive <laughs> the pandemic. And it sort of didn't create divisions in our world, of course, but it sort of just supercharges them somehow. And I, I hope that for, for the next generation's sake that can, we can get through that. Yeah. I mean, whoever thought Kyle, that this would become a symbol of warfare, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, um, it's just been disappointing. Um, and at times, frankly, disillusioned. So uh, on a happier note, perhaps, uh, could we end uh, with this question? Uh, perhaps you'll uh, excuse a New Testament scholar for asking a question like this, but here we go. Oh, I thought you were going to ask a question about football. So <laughs> <laughs> religion, that's easy. <laughs> Uh, uh, boomer Sooners and uh, uh, Sick Bears. So we got, them, bears, we, we got them both in there. And uh, so uh, here, here's the question. Um, what has history uh, to do with theology? Uh, let me put it differently. Uh, from your perspective, um, uh, why might history be important to the construction of a reasonable, responsible, and even compelling uh, Christian theology. In other words, uh, why do why do Christians why why do seminarians need history? Oh well, uh, that's a great question. It's a huge question. <laughs> we need another uh, another whole interview for that. Yeah, we'll, but, do, we'll uh, do another one. The, the uh, quick, I mean, the quick version. Of course, I'm a historian, so I'm biased, and I think um, um, to that every theology student uh, should, and really whether they like it or not, is always studying history because to understand uh, the, the Christian scriptures is to, um, is to immerse oneself in, uh, in the historical uh, place and time and place where, where they emerged and to try and understand the language and the, the meaning of the, the, the words that, um, that are the basis of Christian theology um, is fundamentally um, to, to engage in, in the study of history. And theology obviously is a, is a tradition of thought uh, that, that is handed down generation from generation. And um, one can't study theology without um, engaging with the long tradition of, of interpretation. Um, so uh, I think theology is, is uh, fundamentally a historical enterprise, and um, the stronger the, one's understanding of history is, the better one can, can approach and, and uh, wrestle with the great theological ideas. Tremendous. 
in our instruction here at Truett, uh, we have a text and tradition cycle, and that's the way that we teach uh, theology basically as historical theology or theological history uh, based upon a great text. So uh, it is a, a, a densely um, uh, textual um, uh, enterprise here. Well, Kyle, you, you have been uh, so generous with your time, and I just uh, want to thank you uh, from uh, my seat for writing this really valuable book as I've tried to sort through the, the impact of this pandemic on uh, our own communities. Uh, it has helped me immeasurably, so um, I trust that others will take up and read and uh, I know that once one gives birth to a book, the last thing one wants to do is to think about the next one. But as we close, I want to ask you, uh, what, what, is, what is next up for you? What, what, are you? what are you working on now? What are you working on next? Well, I'm, the, um, I'm definitely at a, at a stage where I'm just doing what, what I love. And uh, I love nature. I'm a, a sportsman, an outdoorsman. Um, and I love animals. So I don't know exactly the, the shape it's going to take, um, whether it's sort of, again, getting back to the Roman story and the way that animals um, from farm animals to, to sort of pest animals like rats, which I have a lot about rats in my book. Um, you know, that was the part I loved most about the book and I didn't really get to, to indulge it as much as I'd like. Readers may disagree, but, um, but I loved writing about the history of animals. There's only tiny little bits of that in the book, but I want to, so I want to pursue that. I love, love nature, love the outdoors, love animals. I think they're so important for understanding um, the, the world we live in. And um, it's going to be something to do with animals. Stay Very tuned. good. Very good. So do you have a dog? Do you have a cat? Oh, I've got a, I've got the best dog in the world. My German okay. short hair, Teddy is, uh, <laughs> he's easily the, the most loyal, handsome, smart, fast, uh, greatest, greatest creature. <laughs> My wife does not share these opinions, but. Uh, now we know your passions, Kyle. Uh, yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and look forward Thank to uh, ongoing conversation. Grateful for your work. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks, Kyle. Bye for now.